The Reverend Eric Alexander is pastor of St. George's Tron Parish in Glasgow, Scotland. He is an internationally known speaker at conventions and conferences such as this. And I could give you many accolades that people have showered upon him. But the one that I have appreciated the most is that when Don Kissler and I met Reverend Alexander last night at the airport and we dropped him off, Don and I both concluded that when we grew up, we wanted to be like Eric. Reverend Alexander is also a member of the advisory board of Soledad Glory Ministries, and so with a great deal of pleasure, I'm pleased to present to you the Reverend Eric Alexander. Well, I greatly hope that they don't grow anymore, but um, I am just so grateful for the privilege of Don and Bruce's friendship and for being associated with Solideo Gloria and all the remarkable work God has enabled them to do. <clears throat> I'm particularly grateful for the opportunity of being here at this conference during this weekend and sharing in the ministry. Now, I want to ask you to turn this evening for our scripture reading at this point to the last book of the Bible, the book of Revelation, and uh, to chapter 1. And I want to read from verse 4. John, to the seven churches in the province of Asia, grace and peace to you from him who is and who was and who is to come, and from the seven spirits before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness the firstborn from the dead, and the ruler of the kings of the earth. To him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood, and has made us to be a kingdom and priests to serve his God and Father, to him be glory and power for ever and ever. Amen. Look, he is coming with clouds, and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him, and all the peoples of the earth will mourn because of him. So shall it be. Amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is <clears throat> and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. I, John, your brother and companion, in the suffering and kingdom and patient endurance that are ours in Jesus, was on the island of Patmos because of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. On the Lord's day, I was in the Spirit, and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet which said, Write on a scroll what you see and send it to the seven churches to Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. 
I turned around to see the voice that was speaking to me, and when I turned, I saw seven golden lampstands, and among the lampstands was someone like a son of man, dressed in a robe reaching down to his feet, and with a golden sash around his chest. His head and hair were white like wool, as white as snow, and his, e his eyes were like blazing fire. His feet were like bronze glowing in a furnace, and his voice was like the sound of rushing waters. In his right hand he held seven stars, and out of his mouth came a sharp, double-edged sword. His face was like the sun shining in its brilliance. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. Then he placed his right hand on me and said, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I was dead, and behold, I am alive forever and ever. And I hold the keys of death and Hades. Now the general theme of our conference this weekend <clears throat> is the theme of the beauty of our Lord Jesus Christ. And I want to spend a few moments introducing that theme to us briefly. And I want to do it in this way. We are accustomed, I suppose, all of us who are acquainted with the message of the Bible and the God of the Bible, we are accustomed to recognize the perfections that there are in God himself by which everything else is judged. He displays, for example, perfect holiness, perfect truth, perfect wisdom, perfect faithfulness, and so on. God is the standard of perfection for all of these attributes, as we call them, that belong to him. But we do not so often think that God is also revealed to us in Scripture as the ultimate model and standard of everything that truly deserves the name of beauty. And yet the psalmist in Psalm 27 tells us that it is his greatest and indeed his solitary remaining desire that he might gaze upon the beauty of the Lord. Now that beauty is not only possessed by God, it is also displayed or revealed by him in almost every area of his activity. 
In creation, for example, at the beginning of time, when God calls the universe into being and creates man and woman to be the stewards of it for him and vice-regents of the created order, with the picture and the whole of, of that creation in which, which Adam and Eve are revealed and uncovered is a context of unsullied and unspoiled of the glorified and unqualified beauty. That is a beauty which in the first everything place we read baffles that leaves the hand of God in creation. It defies he himself pronounces it, it to be even our very good. And, and it we is a would have little doubt, I'm sure, into the that Adam and with Eve themselves and would have reflected because they were part adoration. of that creation and indeed now the crown the of it, of having been made in the, the image and likeness of, of God, they would themselves be figures to go through of the unspoiled beauty. It drives him to Cast himself God on his face before this figure. is himself the standard and model of that beauty. He has displayed it the in the creation and, and supreme in man and woman. Of God really means. But he not only reveals his creation, really his Christ. beauty in the creation, when he says one thing I but he reveals the Lord, it supremely. When he sets well upon his work of redemption and, and reveals himself in Jesus Christ his Son, now to gaze upon in whom the beauty the pure of the glory of God is manifested, is an full of grace and truth, to desire whose name for us is to the come to this conference this weekend, even. And to fix our attention now upon we are the to think about that of the exalted beauty, which is supremely revealed is in something Jesus which Christ in several different ways during the course of God this conference. And we begin this beauty. evening by thinking together about the beauty because, my dear friends, of I the really King. If we could stand the it. phrase comes, of course, in Isaiah chapter 33 and verse 17, your eyes will see the, the king in, in his beauty. Of the king's beauty. Now that prophecy the first <coughs> was of course fulfilled in part in, which he moved in the splendor and, and of a, a Davidic king. In mystery. But its perfect in verses 12 and 13 is without doubt in not only great David's uh, greater son, the, heavenly the Lord glory. Jesus Christ. But you notice and in the, the revelation John sees, and of Christ, you will the Son of David, of enormous and the Son of God, to these we have the perfection trembling of God's disciples of Christ, of who are in that, that contemporary world. God the he Father says, "I turned says, round to see the voice. This when did you is my Son, to see a voice in whom he I the delight." Voice. He turns round, and what does he hear see? him? Well, you but the beauty of Christ, he is going in to these see the days face of, of the king. No, no, is of course a veiled seven beauty. golden lampstands. And on occasion, and just among now and again, the veil was lifted. Like you will remember at the time of his transfiguration, 
When John and James and Peter were taken with Jesus, the Son of Man comes across from the book of amazing sight that dazzles part of a vision that the veil that covered his true beauty and his true glory was lifted somewhat. What is this location? They began to see him. Now, in the kind of language that the revelation describes Jesus if you in. want to know what the lamp stands but it is true the that his beauty in the days of his flesh is a veiled beauty which his glory is, is a veiled glory and to see the true picture of the beauty of the glorious Christ we in need to look into the book of Revelation indescribable beauty. such passages as I want to right invite in the you to turn of his with beleaguered, persecuted church, trembling with fear we and apprehension for the power of God. Because this remarkable and indispensable book of Scripture is indeed now what is this church? Well, what it says, what is. it is at the very this first is God's beautiful people. It is a revelation of Jesus Christ. Day by day the revelation the image of Jesus Christ's beauty which of the Lord God Jesus Christ gave. What is the real beauty of that church? It's a revelation of Not all manner of things, but supremely it is a revelation power, of Jesus Christ himself. Human resource. The word revelation, of course, is one. The only beauty the church of Jesus time. Christ Quite often, if there is something that we don't fully understand, is the or that we have not yet been told when it is explained to us, Jesus or shown Christ to us, we say, in well, that was a revelation of to me. Seven gold and what we mean is that our eyes have been opened to see something that was not apparent to us before. <coughs> so this book of Revelation is, the is a revelation of Jesus of Christ. Of he is the central figure the in it. And it is a revelation of, of Christ in his unveiled glory. Now this is the Christ point at which we begin to see the, the real Jesus, and the true purpose we have in a sense in the days of his flesh and in the stories of Jesus in the Gospels, we have only seen part of the real glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. It is for this reason, for example, that he prays in John 17 to his Father, Father, my prayer is that you will glorify me with the glory that I had with you before the world began. Now here, apart from its testimony to the eternity of our Lord Jesus Christ, is a testimony to the fact that his glory was veiled during the days of his flesh. And he is praying that the Father will glorify him through his death and resurrection and ascension and return to the glory of heaven that he will glorify him with the glory he had before the foundation of the world. Now that revelation of Christ in this book of Revelation is a revelation of Christ enthroned as King of Kings and Lord of Lords. So it is his beauty as the King of Glory that we are seeing in the book of Revelation. 
We may tell that from his location. For example, he is, in verse 4, described as being at the heavenly throne. We may ascertain it from the description of him. In verse 5, he is the ruler of the kings of the earth. And that expression looks forward to his open manifestation in verse 14 of chapter 17 and verse 16 of chapter 19 as King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Now, this, of course, is the kind of revelation that persecuted, troubled believers greatly needed in the first century. And you will realize that apart from whatever view we may take of the book of Revelation, and many of us here would have different views from others of the way to interpret the book of Revelation, the primary application of this book was to these hard-pressed believers who were going through tribulation in the first century. It is a letter as well as a prophecy. It is a revelation of the situation as it really is. And what they needed to grasp was what John tells us in chapter 4. He grasped as he was taken into heaven and a door was opened in heaven and he saw the king of glory seated on his throne. Now for these persecuted and troubled and suffering believers who had seen many of their family and friends martyred, one of the things they greatly needed to be sure of as a stabilizer in their spiritual lives was who occupied the throne of the universe, who was in charge of events in this world that seemed increasingly crazy. And they have this revelation of the king of glory, of a throne from which God had not abdicated, and on which there sat him who was called by the heavenly host, king of kings and lord of lords. The ultimate decisions, therefore, in the world's affairs, they were learning are not taken in Washington or London or Moscow or Peking. They are taken at the throne of God by the Lord Jesus Christ himself. Andrew Melville, who was John Knox's successor in the Reformation in Scotland and who was principal of Glasgow University, where I was a student, and another era, I may tell Bruce, for his uh, enlightenment. Who have only and then he left. He left Glasgow University quite incomprehensibly to become principal of St. Andrew's University, which is our great rival. And then but Andrew Melville, you may know, was a great adversary a youthful of James VI of Scotland and first of Scotland and England and, the and in one of his controversies with him he says this the to the king I told you before and I tell you, you again know, there is another this is hymn to the king there are Lord two kings Jesus and the beauty and two of kingdoms the in Scotland and the beauty of there is King James and who is the head of the commonwealth and there is King Jesus, Lord Jesus of whom King James never fade 
is but a and he who is the ancient of and that was the note that John in the Revelation the book of is sounding. His beauty. Therefore he is concluding, let Never all pay. tyrants tremble, and is eternal, because on the throne of glory there sits but you will the Lord the Jesus Christ. Christ. Now in the passage beginning at verse 9, we have the inaugural the vision of the book of Revelation of the unveiled Christ. In all his beauty. Look at verse 14. And it's at that that I want us to look for the rest of our time. When we turn to this passage, what we see, in fact, is the description, you will have noticed often, I'm sure, of two figures, not just of one. The first figure, the dominating one, is the one that cannot really be described. He can only be compared to objects with which we are familiar. So we are told his eyes are like blazing fire, his face shines with the brilliance of the sun, his voice sounds like many waters, like a mighty waterfall, his feet are like bronze glowing in a furnace. John finds it almost impossible to describe him, so he compares him to more familiar features. Burning out of his Ezekiel eyes, has the same problem you will know in the early part of Ezekiel, where when he tries to describe the, the glory of God, God he says, it was like unto the likeness of. He can compare it with something and even then recognizes that not even a comparison will properly bring a vision of the glory that Ezekiel saw. John is in a similar situation. The other figure is the figure of a man who is lying at the feet of the shining one. And he seems to have been stricken dead. His beauty. Who are these figures then that we meet in this part of Revelation? The first, manifestly, is the risen, ascended, and glorified Christ, bearing the glory that he had with the Father before the beginning of the world, in all his shining and incomprehensible and indescribable beauty. The other figure is John, the disciple and apostle and writer of John's gospel and of these three epistles and also of the book of Revelation, as we believe. The intimate friend of Jesus, admitted by Jesus to certain special occasions like the transfiguration experience, like Gethsemane, for example. And sitting beside him at the Last Supper, perhaps most poignantly of all, standing by the cross and being singled out by Jesus as the one to whom he commends the care of his mother. You'd have said that Jesus and he were best friends. They would then be a symbol of how perfectly the King of Kings works out his sovereign purposes and marches through history with perfect wisdom and perfect timing and perfect love and perfect justice, fulfilling his purposes so that in the end of the day his people will say, as for God, his ways are perfect. And the Lord Jesus Christ in his kingly beauty 
is the one who marches on towards the consummation of his purposes in the day of that ultimate revelation of him when every eye shall see him and every tongue confess that he is Lord. Lastly, his royal beauty is seen and heard in his voice and in his countenance. His countenance, the apostle can only describe as being like the sun shining in all its brilliance. Now, of course, that again is something we could not look upon. It would blind us this glory. And his voice, which is like the power of a waterfall, his voice is part of his beauty. But his kingly glory in his countenance is like the sun shining in all its brilliance so that the apostle for that reason if for no other casts himself to the ground he would be blinded by it. And yet it's an amazing thing if you think of it for a moment. that we are told that the glorified people of God will be able to do in heaven what even the angelic creation cannot do. You know what the angels of God cannot do? They cannot look upon him. The prophet Isaiah tells us this. He says, with two of their wings, they cover his, their, their eyes. They cannot look upon this blinding glory of the king they saw in Isaiah 6. And yet we read in the book of Revelation, they shall see his face. They shall see his face in all its glory. Still more amazing thing is that that glory <clears throat> which is the Lord Jesus Christ he says to the Father in John 17 he has given to his disciples. You ever pause to ponder that? The glory that you gave me, I have given them. And actually he tells us how he gives it to us in 2 Corinthians 3.18. Do you remember that amazing verse at the end of 2 Corinthians 3 where the apostle has been speaking about Moses going up into the presence of God and coming down with a veil covering his face. Now he says, We 
who with unveiled faces behold the Lord's glory are being transformed into his likeness with ever-increasing glory which comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. Now, there are some things that are difficult to grasp in Scripture. There are some things that are quite incomprehensible in Scripture. And what is un incomprehensible to me is that the glory of the unveiled Christ is being imparted to his redeemed people. We are being changed into the same image from one degree of glory into another until that day when we shall awake in his presence. And what does scripture say? We shall be satisfied when we awake with his likeness. So although it is blindingly glorious and incomprehensible and unimaginable, oh, do gaze upon the beauty of the Lord because his great plan is to change you into the same image. Let's pray together. Father, we bow before the unimaginable glory of him who is King of kings and Lord of lords. And we hold our breath at the very thought that we might bear even a fraction of that image. Encourage us by your grace as we look towards the day when we shall awake with his likeness for the glory of his name. Amen.